Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. And today we are talking to a lady that is out of South Africa. She's in another country called Botswana. Botswana, it's next door to South Africa, if you don't know, but now you know. And in my view, she's a pioneer. She's got a pioneer in her and the way she does property is very pioneer, pioneering like, you know what I mean? Going in into an area that is not known right now and she creates something by just looking out at different signs and those signs, she then starts putting up structures and those structures starts making her a business. And in my view, that's the pioneer spirit. Let's check out who Tumi is. Welcome aboard. It is I again. Yeah, TJ. And like any other day, I bring you a successful friend of M5. And this is a welcome to M5 Successful Friend. And to me all the way from Botswana. How are you? I'm doing very well, TJ. How are you? Very well, thank you. I think we should have had like a Botswana flag in your background. You know that now that I'm thinking of it. You know, that is a very good idea. Unfortunately, I don't have one nearby. <laughs> By the way, if you've never been here before, this is the show where we talk about anything and everything around property. And we're good, we bring you cool people like to me to understand their story and why they are successful friends of M5. So to me, who is to me? And I understand you in property, but what do you do? You mean my day job? Okay, my full name is Timisang. I'm Timisang Sono. Yeah. I am a Botswana, living in Botswana. And um, I was born in Seroe. I don't know if you know of a village called Seroe. I do, I do. I've had some run. I, before, um, before I started doing property full time, so I used to work for the company Barclays. Um, okay. So I would go through into African countries and one of the countries that I used to visit quite a lot is Botswana. And one of my job, actually, I needed to be in the branch, right? Okay. So from time to okay. time, I would come through the Khaberoni and then boom, we're in different branches for the next. Yeah, family. there's a branch in Saroy. Yeah. Okay, so that's where I was born. But then I was raised in Pique, in Silibe Pique, so I'm sure you've been there because there's a Barclays there as well. Correct. And so, yeah, I am a Mutana, and, I, and as you know, Pico is a mining town. And so that's really it about me. Currently, I work as an HR business partner for a mining company. Okay. And I guess human resources and property are my two loves. You are in HR. So back in the days when I used to work, um, um, a lot of people, I think, when you're working, in, in the human capital space. Uh, differentiating change management and HR, sometimes the, the lines are a little bit blurred, especially when the executive are trying to save money. Uh, so one of my jobs, I used to report into an HR, uh, HR business partner, and in some we were peers. Um, but you bring in a different conversation here, HR and property. Um, that That's, People, bricks and mortar, that's two different things. Yeah, but you'll find that the skill set and the competencies 
are quite similar that I needed. I mean, with HR in the office, you need to be pretty good with people. You need to negotiate. You need to know how to stand your ground. You need to be pretty good at um, understanding the, the greater structure, like maybe the employment law, your policies. So you need to know your stuff when you're in human resources. Similarly with property, you need to know the law. You need to know what's possible, what's not possible. And also just dealing with people in property. I mean, I've had to deal with uh, guys in construction. I've had to deal with lawyers. So um, I think I've used the same competencies. And I think one of the most important skills that I've had to use is being adaptable and being ready for change and being um, able to adapt to that change very quickly. I mean, in the business that I'm working in, things change quite quickly. And so, so do things change the property space, you know, um, especially when you're building or when you are um, constructing. I, I meet up a lot of people to me and, you know, I've been privileged to meet lots of people, you know, be, before I was in property, I never actually wanted to meet people. It was not my thing. These days I'm always asking, so who do you know that I should also be knowing? Um, but, but I almost want to come back to the conversation where when I meet up lots of people, I meet up a lot of females who say to me, TJ, I want to be in property, but, so there's always a but somewhere. And it goes on into different excuses. And there you are, you're a female, and you just said now to me that it's about education, it's about knowing the rules, it's about having those conversations. As a female, how did you take on to it? I mean, I, I don't invest in Botswana, so I don't know whether it is female heavy in terms of investing in properties, or is it male dominated like we also see in South Africa? Um, but you know, a lot of people would then want to say, yeah, it's not male dominated, it's white dominated. And, and for me, it's really excuses to kind of like say, those that are doing it are special and you, you, you're finding a comfort for yourself. But in Botswana, yeah. with you being a female, what, what's your view then? I would love to hear the, I'd say, excuses or the reasons that people give uh, because I haven't really come across any barriers because I'm female. Uh, maybe, maybe specific to my particular background. I mean, the family that I was raised in, I never really felt different from the boys. Uh, the schools that I went to, I've always, I've never really felt that I couldn't do anything because I'm female. So that's not really something that I've come across. I think maybe something that's specific to Botswana is that our society is probably um, looks at age more than anything else. So yeah. when I started, I was pretty young and just being having a small frame as well. So that's the only thing that I really sort of um, encountered where people say, oh, you're so young and they sort of want to take advantage of me, maybe charging me more or maybe thinking that I won't understand something or you know an architectural plan simply because I'm so young. So in terms of the uh, being female, I have other female friends who are in property, you know, with different backgrounds. Some are married, some are not, some have kids, some are, are unemployed, some are employed. So I haven't really seen them struggling because they are women, but I personally have experienced the age bias. Right, right. Having said that, um, you know, um, interacting with people and in the position where you are now, where you are actually doing something, you know, some people would say, well, you know, you're in it now, so you don't see the barriers. 
Um, but when I was growing up exactly like you to me, um, my, my grandmother, so part of my life I was raised with my grandmother and then part of my life I was raised with my foster parents. And in our household, it was me and my older brother. So my mother would be like, today you're going to sweep the floors and you're going to mop the yeah. floors. And yeah. I remember, so my brother was a little bit older than me and he started bringing in the whole, no, I'm not a girl, I don't do that. And, <laughs> and my mom would lose it. And she'd be like, I never said I've got a daughter or a son, I've got a child. I've got a child, exactly. And, and, and up to now, you know, if I look at some of my peers, I'm pretty domesticated, you know, I, Yes. Lots of things that I do. But that has also made me to kind of like not even look at the biasness that comes through with certain things. So when people ask, you know, can a female, can a male, I'm like, cooking is cooking. Haven't you seen male chefs? You need to eat, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Haven't you seen male chefs? And we don't question that when it's in the workplace. But when it's at home, we we question that. uh, How come? Um, Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, from, from your perspective, you see things like that. So a high five to you. So what do you do in property? There's a wider array of things that people do in property. What, what's, your, what's your niche? Okay. My niche is uh, buying and holding currently because I, when I started, uh, when, I, when I came from university, I was pretty comfortable and happy in my job. So I just felt like what I needed was to build value and long-term value. Yeah. I wasn't really into flipping, although I've done it once with a, a cousin of mine. Yeah. But I thought, given my age at the time, I think I was in my late 20s, 28, 29. I just thought, you know, what I really want is to build value over time. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons uh, for, for thinking like that was I was thinking, well, I don't have children yet and I'd want... I wouldn't want to pay their school fees or any child children's expenses from my salary. So the best thing would be to have a property that I would pay off now before they come. And then by the time they come, they would it, the property would pay for their school fees and whatever else might come. Because um, being in human resources as well, um, you're privy to people's salaries and you sort of make an assessment and say, you know, can you really survive on this? And you look at where you are currently, where your um, superiors are, and you start thinking, it becomes very realistic to say, how much can my payslip really give me? So my strategy for now is to buy, hold, and pay off the debts. And then maybe later on, I will do flipping. Okay. So just take us through the process of buying a property in Botswana um, for the for the for the person on the street um in terms of how would you actually buy a property and get it tenanted um and then we can okay. draw some comparisons with how we do it in south africa yeah so there there, there are different ways firstly m- most people advertise most most of the time it's the seller that's advertising so through the ad through the advertiser or other newspapers and we don't use agents as much. I sometimes when I listen to uh, YouTube uh, videos, like your YouTube videos, I realize that there's a heavy reliance on agents in South Africa. There are here people actually um, advertise their own properties, and word of mouth is also a very a good one. 
but needless to say there are agents i actually just got my last property from an agent um so once you have identified the property that you like the most important thing is to find out what kind of i'll just say certificate it has because it can be what we call tribal land so tribal land is usually um villages it's usually uh, plots in or, or property in villages and they belong to the local tribal authorities Right. So typically you would have just what we call just a certificate to say so-and-so owns this property. Yeah, we, we, we and also have that. Yeah. You have that. Okay, yeah. great. Then uh, some people go on to do what you call a lease. So your certificate is the most basic and then you'd have a lease. The lease is where it's an agreement between you and that authority to say, I'm going to lease out this property for 99 years and I'm going to either use it as a plowing field, residential, or whatever it might be. And then you have title deed. A title deed is obviously registered at the deeds registry. Right. So that's the most important thing when you identify a property in Botswana. And then typically when you have a title deed, it holds more weight and people, people usually charge a bit more for that. So then um, most of the time you have to start off with what you call a compliance certificate at the land board. So when you have your lease, actually when you have any, any one of them, your title deed, your um, lease or your certificate, you need to start off at the land board and get what you call as compliance certificate. Because there's a little clause there that says you can't transfer this land unless it's been developed to a certain level. Now, there are differences. Um, if you are selling maybe a plowing field or a farm, they will just need for it to be fenced or they would need like a basic structure where somebody can um, live, like just a room and a, and a roof. So um, let's say, so then you would go to the land board and then they would do an inspection to see, have you developed this property to a certain standard? Oh, and, and you need to have cleared it as well. So fenced, cleared, and a basic structure. So they'd go and do an inspection and then give you what is called a compliance certificate. And then you can go ahead and uh, transfer from one name to another. And now the, the um, properties in town, they're much easier because you don't have all of that. And by the time you get a title deed anyway, all of that has been done. So um, you just take your title deed and then you register at today's office and usually lawyers are involved. So basically, that's 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 a process. So that that almost covers how one would be able to find an opportunity, right? Um, but I've always said to a lot of people for who are South African based, and I say to them, you know, I don't understand why you're not in property because you can literally buy a property with none of your own money and utilizing the bank's money, right? And because of my travel into Africa and obviously working for the bank. Um, I think I stand corrected within the last five years uh, with all the other countries that I'd worked in, South Africa was still the only country that gives home loans, right? Uh, and in some countries, they would call it a mortgage, but it wouldn't be even up to around about 50%. In Botswana, does the banks give home loans, mortgage, what do you guys call it, if the banks uh, does participate in those spaces. Yeah. 
we do use the term interchangeably, the terms interchangeably in home loans and mortgage. Yeah. So yes, the banks do offer home loans, um, but they're very strict about what qualifies for a home loan. So your certificate or your deeds that I've been talking about would need to stipulate that this is a residential property. And that's where I had my first chance when I got my first property after university. So it says, we'll only give you a home loan for a property that is for you to live in. So if your um, title deed says this is a business plot or your certificate says this is a business plot, you're not going to qualify for a home loan. So um, most, and then on top of that, the, the home loan, the qualification, qualifying for it or how much the bank will finance depends on your, on your location. So if you're in Khaboroni, which is the main city, they'll probably finance 90% or some banks have even said 100% of it. Right. But then as, as you move out to Greater Khaboroni, which is the surrounding villages, yeah. um, they will finance typically 70%. Some might even say 60% of the property that you're looking at. Mm. And still, it needs to be a residential. So when you're a fresh graduate, buying in Khaboroni or a city or a town is very expensive. I couldn't afford it. So that's why I looked for a property that was on the outskirts. I mean, people commute from Mopani. That's the village that I, I bought the property in. People commute from Mopani to Khaboroni. It's only about 20 to 30 kilometers out. So depending on which part of Mopani you live in. And so, um, if you're faced with a situation like that, like I was, I said, okay, here's a, a, an empty plot. Um, I can't get a mortgage for it because it's empty, doesn't qualify for uh, a mortgage. Like I said, the banks are very strict. So they also want a structure on, on the property. So I had to get a personal loan. And then after getting a personal loan, building a small structure, then you can, uh, ask the bank for a loan. Even then it wasn't a mortgage, it was just a business loan because they're like, okay, you want to build a multi-residential. So that's considered a business. Uh, so I built, because um, it wasn't, it was a, a decent sized plot, but I was able to put in four units. So that's what I did. But now to me, uh, in terms of your interest rates between a personal loan and a home loan, um, uh, we are in 2020. What are the going rates for a personal loan? Uh, 100,000 Pula, for instance. Um, it really, really differs because I've been lucky enough to always work for a company that has a scheme, a bank scheme. Okay. But if you are somebody that works for a company that doesn't have a scheme, which is basically negotiated special rates for your company, then you will pay much higher rates. So I think my personal loan at the time for me to purchase the, the plot was, it's quite a while back, but I can't remember clearly, but it was probably like prime plus five. Okay. Um, but if, you, if maybe you're outside the scheme, it might be prime plus 10, I've seen prime plus 15, wow. so it can really go up. Yeah. And then uh, for your mortgage, it would be just prime. And then maybe, for a business loan would be maybe prime plus two. So it'll just really depend on which bank you go to, which company you work for, do they have a scheme or not? And so it can range. But these are the, some of the things that one will probably need to investigate before you actually jump onto a property to say, well, 
um, this might be a good deal for me. What are my options? Looking at your resources um, at the time. I mean, you, you started off in your 20s. Well done to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, it was quite weird actually. When I uh, finished university, I wasn't thinking of my dream home and how I wanted to live. There was just something in my heart. I was like, I want to own a multi-residential property. Obviously, I was thinking of a whole block of flats at that time. Yeah. Until reality, it's like you can't afford that. And then I found this property, and I found, you know, I built a small, smaller um, units, smaller units. But yeah, if I was, I think about twenty-nine or twenty-eight when I bought this property. But for you to think like that, uh, to me, um, I mean, for a lot of people. I mean, I, I wasn't thinking property at that time when I, in my 20s, uh, you yeah. know, some of the things that I used to think are pretty embarrassing uh, for me to talk about <laughs> them right now, but definitely my mind was not there. The question now that I would ask you is, what motivated you to, to be thinking that way? I think actually just having a practical mind, very practical. I said, okay, Tinsang, you're 29, you don't have children, you don't have a husband, you're not married. So you're going to go and get a mortgage for a five bedroom house or a three bedroom house. What are you going to do in that big house by yourself? You know, I just thought I'm going to be alone in this huge house that I would have built. And I just said, okay, let me take that money and actually buy or build a property that will be able to give me a bit more money. And then when the time comes, I'll buy a family home. So it was just practical thinking, really. But I think what, what I really like about you to me is that there, there was still some kind of like hurdles around, around it, you know, and, and you are, yeah. the, the way you think, I, I really like the way you think, by the way, you're downplaying them and like, yeah, I had to go and get a personal loan but I mean, there's quite a lot of people that really get stuck around that space because maybe they're not even familiar with banks' products. And because the bank yeah. is going to say no, they already think, oh, I can't do this, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. But anyways, um, having said that, um, the thing that I would want us to kind of like jump into now, so now you, this is a couple of years later now, um, and how big or how, how, you, how, how big of a portfolio have you grown from when you started to now? Uh, and I want yeah. to tie that up in, into, into your work family space. Um, how big is my portfolio? <laughs> Interesting yeah. question. Uh, okay, so I still have the, that first property that I started off with. Right. Um, like I said, because I was still, even like employment-wise, I was still like an, at officer level. So there wasn't much that I could do um, in terms of developing it, but I developed it enough to get to a point where tenants would be happy to get in and, and rent out. And then so with that money, um, I obviously started paying off the, the debt. And then with the extra, I just started developing it, like um, putting in carports, I didn't have carports to start off, you know, in the beginning, putting off a bit of a garden, putting in a bit of a garden sure. and just it, making it look nice, you know. So I think the first two to three years, I was really just doing that very slowly. But then when I did have money, income from the same property, I'd buy um, a, a plot in a, in a different village. 
like like I said, those tend to be the, the cheapest. Uh, when you buy in town, it tends to And that's to where the value is, right? So I mean- That's where the value is. Property investment, it's all about making sure that you're buying low so that you can put some value and you're making yeah. money out of it. So there's an up and coming village which will soon become a town. It's called Palape. I'm sure you know Palape. And I don't know when was the last time you went there, but it's it's undergone a major makeover. You probably won't even recognize it. So at the time, I think I bought two uh, residential plots just empty in Palape. And it's coming up really, really well. I mean, I think three or four different malls have come up in the, since I bought my properties. Uh, the mine there is expanding. And so it was the right time to buy. And now whenever if I get money, I think I will develop some houses there so that to, to rent because a lot of people are now moving into that area. And then my most recent purchase actually is, is, a, is a farm, also outside Khabron. Khabron is just too expensive. <laughs> but yeah, but it's, it's just a, it's a farm, farm, farm property, yeah. But to me, so I, I almost want to take people into, into what, what Khabron looks like. Uh, in terms from an investment perspective. So you've got Haberon, which is the big hub. And I think that's where most of the activities are happening. And mm. I think a lot of people that comes through to South Africa, they always see these big towns that are already established. You go to Nelspruit, it's, it's like a big city. You go to Durban, it's like a big city. But I'm always saying to people, the opportunities that we have in some of, some of our African countries is that we have many cities that are coming up, but because yeah. now we are so much entrenched in the big city life, yes. we, yeah. don't, we don't see that. Yeah. And value of property is still, I don't want to say it's next to nothing, but compared to what you are buying per square meter in Haberon and in these small towns, you're probably buying 200% less. That is, that is the truth completely. I mean, in Khabarun, you're buying like a thousand pula per square meter, which is a lot of money, you know. And you can still get um, plots in Palape, like the village that I just mentioned, for yeah. 20,000, 20,000 pula. Really? And yeah, you still have to go and connect water and electricity and all those things. And it's, yeah. it's harder to cut up. But if you've got a great location, it's really worth the admin. And that's why, like when you're talking about how, you know, you're, you're telling your South African counterparts to um, not really focus on this on the big cities. Sometimes I feel sorry for them because um, it's us, the citizens who know what's happening. So you have to have your ear really on the ground and you must know that, okay, Murupula coal mine in Palape is expanding and you must drive around really to say, Oh, I see there's a new mall in Palate. Oh, I see there's something, they're building a new hospital there. Something must be going on, you know? So if you're a foreigner looking to invest in a different country, you really need to get uh, on the ground and drive around the whole country and see what's going on and talk to people. My, my investment philosophy uh, to me, I'm in four cities here in South Africa. I, Cape Town, I don't know it very well. I still need a GPS yeah. when I go to Cape Town. <laughs> I find a local person to partner up with who understands yes. the, the neighborhood. 
very, very well. Yes. And, yeah. and the value that I'm going to get from that person, rather than for me to want to learn the neighborhood, the lingo, mm. I mean, the language in Cape Town is totally different from Johannesburg. Totally different. different and the, the value is priceless, right? But on the other hand, my speed of execution becomes so much faster compared yeah. to me starting to go and learn. And, and I almost want to go to another conversation now or to me because you're playing a long game here. If you yes, see, I am. Uh, in, a, in a smaller town, you are seeing a, a mall coming up and you're saying, okay, fine, mm -hmm. I want to develop it. So you could be developing it for maybe about maybe 200,000 pula on, on, on that piece of land that you bought for 20. Mm -hmm. And yeah. all of those people, maybe it's close to a, to a hospital. We all know the government. Government is not a South African problem. It's, it's, it's worldwide. <laughs> Governments like... react slower than how the, the markets are growing. So mm -hmm. yes, they planted a, 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 a school or maybe even a hospital, but those people need to stay somewhere. They need to stay somewhere, yeah. Right? So there you are. You then provide that. And, yes. and if you're an early adopter, you find those opportunity, then all you now need to do is that you're buying law, you, the government, is, you, you are actually partnering up with the government here, whether you like it or not, because they have provided customers for you. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. And government employees, they get paid all the time, in and out of COVID, right? They, they will get paid, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and out of that, you have a long term because where community needs a hospital, it's a growing community. A growing community, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and I really like that model of yours. It's, it's an amazing model. Um, it's like being a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah. You're really making me feel good. <laughs> But it's, it's I, I think you really nailed it and you articulated it well when you said um, you're playing a long game. That's something that I decided a long time ago. I said, I'm not making money now. I'm building value. And even with the first property that I bought, uh, people were like, oh, Mopan is so far, you know. And now rentals in Khabarone are so expensive that everybody's looking for, um, they're looking to live in the outside villages, you know. Right. And the only that was here was a hospital although it was a private hospital so i bought a property right behind it oh, and wow. now the government like literally on my street now they have built a, a huge primary school I, I think it's the biggest that i've seen even the Khaburani school <laughs> are not this big literally on my street i didn't even know planning that so now i'm right behind the hospital and i've got a, a school right on my street as well and this is eight years later. And obviously I'm smiling because I have, I'm never without tenants. Actually, people always knock and say, do you have a free flat? Do you have a free apartment? And I'm, the answer is always no. Yeah. Hey, if I were you, I'd, put, I'd start putting up some cuckoos, some one rooms, wooden ones, like upstairs ones. There is, a, there is an open space. I'm like, hmm, do you really need this guy? <laughs> Yeah, so that's been the game I'm playing. But to me, to, 
talking from a property rental, buying and holding, that's almost, you know, just looking at the cash flow. A lot of people would look at it from a cash flow perspective. That's the game that you're playing. But the space that you're in, in terms of location, the amount of capital appreciation over a 10-year period is humongous. It's really huge. It's really, really huge. Mm. I, I recently got confirmation of that. Although I won't share the value of the property, but I was smiling. It was recently there. <laughs> no, I, I, you, you don't need to share it to me because yeah, you came into a neighborhood and it was nothing. There was zero, like it's just farmland. Yeah. And you put up your yeah. structures there. Potentially the municipality is not even thinking that far in terms of processes, right? But obviously the town planners from the municipality are the ones that are thinking. So they're still thinking big picture. But now you're putting in the structures that you want to put in and all of a sudden, got a private hospital, you've got a government, what, what, the, government the market is starting to yeah. vibrate and prices starts yeah. shooting up and you're just there yeah. chilling, doing nothing and, and I bought it. printing your own money, man. I bought it dead cheap because nobody was selling at the time or nobody was buying rather, nobody was buying at the time and that's why I said, I, you know, I thought, let me just take a, a personal loan because it was affordable. But now when I look at, uh, you know, look at the, the newspapers and how much people are selling empty plus four, same size as mine, I promise you it's three times more, three to four times more. So here's the thing, right? In our, in our markets here, um, there are, I think there are two types of investors in our markets. Um, there's these investors that come in and they are heavily reliant on data. So we've got systems called TPN, Lightstone, you know, they, they all pull data from uh, the deeds office and what's happening within the rental space. So you and me as a landlord, we populate data there. And I'm always saying to my team, if we're doing properties and we're buying a new project, yes, I want to look at that data, but the fact that there is data, I've lost the opportunity because I'm not the one who's populating that data, right? And I, I really want yeah. to be that guy who is creating the opportunities so that there is data for other people. You know? Yeah, that's true. I didn't have that data as well. And I just thought, ah, you know, if I go to the towns and all of that, they, people have already talked. People know what's going to happen. So I've lost out on that opportunity. So let me go outside. And I just felt that these things are generational as well. So maybe my parents and my grandparents' generation, their time in, in Khabroni was, so it was their time when Khabroni was coming up, they actually um, had a great, a good opportunity to buy in Khabroni. So I felt like for my generation, Khabroni is already gone. Like the people who, every space has been taken. So I need to look a little outside. And then the generation after me will probably have to look even further out. Yeah, I, I can't say I can't say it enough to me. I, I really like the way you think. Thank like you. like you you mind blowing. Um, I think a lot of people then want to jump in to say, but you are investing. There is no data, and you are investing, and it's a leap of you're taking a leap of faith here. And I, I, I don't think it's a leap of faith. The signs are there. The signs are there, you need to just trust them. 
But like you're saying, some people really want hard data. And sometimes you just have to say, listen, you just have to use basic logic and say, there's so many people that work in Cameroon. Can they afford 3,000 pillar rent every, for, for like a small, small, small place or a servant's quarter? No, they can't. So why don't I offer something for 3,000 pillar but a little bit more comfortable? And you'll find people who are really good tenants because they are working, but they just don't want to spend that much money on a small, small apartment or, yeah, or servant's quarter. What's this distance in kilometers from these two places? Because I think sometimes uh, here in South Africa, when we look at cities, we look at another city is probably like four, 500 kilometers. So people are already thinking, ah, it's too far away. But in Khabarone okay. or in Botswana, places are pretty close by. Yeah, so there are two things to consider. So if I tell you in kilometers, um, from Khabarone to Mopani, which is where yeah. the, the property that I bought, it's only about um, 20 to 30 kilometers. I say 20 to 30 because the, the Mobani village is quite big. So it no, depends. That's, on the that's like literally. But I was going to say, that's why I say two things. But we don't have good roads. Sure. So you might, oh, it's only 20 kilometers, but you will spend an hour getting there <laughs> because there's bad traffic and our intersections, the lights are not working most of the time. And so there are many things to consider. And that's why some people say, I'd rather pay the extra to live in Khabaroni. And you have to understand your tenants. Yeah, yeah. I, I was watching a documentary to me of Henry Ford. Um, when you have an opportunity, uh, jump on either YouTube or any of these channels, history channels and, and check out Henry Ford. Like at a point, right, he was, creating vehicles, what we now call the 4x4. I think he used to call it a CT30 at the time. And his model was more around, I am replacing the horse cuts. You know the horse cuts. And, and that was his model. But when he was creating those vehicles, there were no roads at that time. Right? And there's a visionary guy who's like saying, yeah. let us make a line of a thousand cars every day uh, and making CT30s, but there's no roads. And I'm thinking, this is what you're doing. The roads can come <laughs> a little bit later, but let me pay. And, and they do come eventually. Mm. They do, mm. right? It's really cool. It's amazing. Um, Thank you. To, to me, with you now investing in property, you still employed. Um, and you juggle the two yeah. at a distance. Um, what are some of the benefits you have started seeing now that you wanted to see when you started off in property? You know, we, we always want those goals, you know? Um, like, okay. what is it that is you've started seeing that is materializing now? I think the expected one, which I, yeah, something I was expecting was to build value, like I keep saying and to just have an extra income. So in the beginning, I would say, okay, this is how much I'm paying the bank from my rentals and this much I have extra. So there've been times where things are tough and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not good, good business practice, but I've been able to say, let me take this much and you know, um, deal with that emergency. But at least the bank is sorted out from the rentals. 
And then recently, something I just enjoyed was um, valuing it so that I could do equity release and yeah. so that I could buy equity with it. So that has been the best experience. Wow. Yeah. Because I didn't really have to, it wasn't really my money, but it is, but you know what I mean? It was just equity release of this property and I could own expand it to and me. Own it to me. It was your money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, that's really has been, that, that's been the most amazing thing because that's what I expected. That's what I wanted and it's happened. But then something that I didn't expect was the personal growth, um, the maturity that came with this whole journey, the knowledge that's come with it, you know, being able to speak to people at the bank. And if I look at myself now and eight years ago, I question things more, I'm more confident to even ask lawyers and say, no, I'm not paying for this. Uh, why do you want me to pay for it? And to read contracts more thoroughly as well. So I think the growth has been quite amazing. And in that, I mean, there, there is no value that you can put on that. No, none. Yeah, yeah. I, also realize how much you still have to learn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that, that's another thing. You know, I think it was, I think about a, a few days ago, I actually posted something on my, on my Facebook post. And I was like, if you're really wanting to make money, just accept the fact that you're going to be a student or you should accept that you're a student right now and be a student for the rest of your life because exactly. yeah 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 so that's that's been exciting looking back at when you started off you started off young um but if you had to give an mm -hmm. advice to anyone who is in who's wanting to do property and they're kind of like yeah. sitting on the fence what what advice would you give them now um the biggest one would be not to procrastinate it's very easy to procrastinate with uh, property because you're dealing with figures you know you're not just thinking about oh should i go out tonight and have a meal you're actually thinking about hundreds of thousands or even millions so it's very easy to keep putting things off all the time and don't overthink i think we touched on this uh, a bit earlier that sometimes you overthink things oh will, will the government really develop this place will i have tenants and you know as long as on a balance of probabilities, this makes sense, I'd say go for it. And yeah, just don't waste time. It's all about time and property. As soon as you get that property, start developing it as well so that you don't lose time. To me, in your view, what, what does success look for you? What does success look like for you? For me personally, this is my plan. I need to have cleared my loans as quickly as possible, hopefully in the next four to five years while I'm employed and um, maybe just do equity release for to flip properties in the future. But I really wanna hold on to the properties that I, I have now and then pay them off and then just start playing the property game a bit later. Is there any favorite business book that you have read that is kind of like giving you a leapfrog um, in your yeah. thinking, in your learning? Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the book by Jason Lee, Making Money Out of Property in South Africa. Okay. Uh, he explains things very easily. Um, so I enjoyed that. I thought it was an easy read. So yeah, that, I liked that. Awesome stuff. To me, it's been great hanging out with you. Um, you have reminded me of some of my other goals, which is uh, investing in Africa 
and um, I'd forgotten some of those things. You know, you get into the space of where I am now, but there's really big opportunities in some of these smaller towns that are coming up. I mean, look at Rwanda, for instance, look at Mozambique yep. coming up. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I mean, these are countries that at a point they were in war, so the infrastructure is not as great as it is even mm -hmm. in Botswana if we were to compare that. Yep, um, yep. But yeah, to your success, to me, uh, well done on your journey. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. And look I've enjoyed today. Thank you, Tumi. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Tumi all the way from Botswana with no flag from Botswana, but <laughs> we have all learned. And uh, this is what we're always talking about. And uh, the reason why we have this show is pretty simple. For you to be aware of the opportunities that are out there, I had no idea what Tumi was going to talk about, but she has actually reignited something in me. She has reminded me that opportunities can be everywhere. And this is what it's all about. But it is up to you to take action and make some dough in your pocket to your success. Cheers. God bless. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.